Wow, what a weekend it's been. <laughs> it's been really quite an amazing weekend. Uh, we had a leaders retreat and um, it was just amazing, just amazing. We ate and ate and ate. <laughs> it was amazing. It was really, really good. And uh, I was just thinking about this morning when Greg was talking about, um, do you remember the bit where he talked about the uh, injecting his blood into you? And it goes right through, you know, you get into the vein and it goes right through the body. Um, it just took me right back to, I don't know whether you've ever had a scan that, uh, there's lots of different scans, but there's one particular scan that they hook you up onto a, um, a drip type thing. And uh, you'll have to forgive me, I don't know, know all the medical terms and things like that. But anyway, I'll do it in layman's terms. He, they hook, you hook you up to a drip. And then, of course, what they do is they, they pump the stuff into you. Now, if they were to do it apparently by hand, it takes forever. It's really, really thick stuff. And it go, has to go right through your whole body. But the thing is, they have this pump that pumps it. And within, boom, just like that, bang, you're feeling hot from here right down to your toes. Like that. It's amazing. It's just that quick. It's this pump action thing they do. Wow, <laughs> you feel it. <laughs> and really, that, that's the same thing as what God, you know, when he fills us with his presence, when he wants to change, when he does desire to change something in us, you know, that work can be powerful. And it's, it's not just a, a, a dream out there, but actually God, what he can do in us is bang. When he hits your heart, things change right the way through. Well, I was talking a couple about uh, three, three, four weeks ago. You sort of lose track of time, but I was speaking about um, the wellspring of life. We've all been speaking about the wellspring of life, but today I want to look at the wellspring of life versus the wellspring of self. And it's um, when you look at it, it's really like the wells, the the tree of life, and the tree of good and evil. It really depends on what we're drawing upon. And when I spoke last time, I spoke about Rebecca and how when Abraham's servant came to look for a wife for his son Isaac, the, the servant met Rebecca by a well. And, and Rebecca was able to, when asked for a drink, was able, without any hesitation, able to dip her bucket into that well and refresh the servant and his, the people that were with him. Just like that. And that's what God wants to do in us. There is a wellspring of life that when opportunities come, we're not having to think about it. It just comes out of us. We're able to flow with the life that's within us to be able to speak into the hearts and lives of these people. And the amazing thing is that uh, the, the well that was dug in those days was for a community. The whole community draw from that well. And we have such a rich well in this place as a community, as a family, to draw upon. The question is, are we drawing upon it? What are we drinking? What are we taking our sustenance from? Because whatever we draw from, that's what's going to come out. And so Rebecca was able to just able to satisfy the thirst straight away. When there's life in you, sometimes it can't be shut up. It flows out. And so when people ask you a question, what is it that comes out of you? Life or death? Then I spoke about Isaac and how he dug six wells. The first two, he tried to uncover his father's Abraham's wells. They'd been blocked up with earth. 
the things of the world, the earthly things. One of them was envy. All sorts of things block wells that stop us from drawing upon the living water. And we're not able to draw upon it because it's blocked and we don't always know why. And the reason for this case, there was envy, there was all sorts of things that went on. But it was earthly, fleshly, and it will block the well of life. Then there was the next three, uh, sorry, wells three and four became contentious. There were arguments. It's our well. No, it's my well. There was pride. There was all sorts of things that went on that, that again stopped the flow of water. They weren't able to draw upon the water because of all the, the stuff that went on. Then there was well five. He went away from that whole environment and he dug again. This time there was no striving. There was no um, arguing. And he said, God has made room for us. You know, when we make room for God, God makes room for us. <laughs> now, he hadn't come into the fullness of what God was doing, but at least he was seeking. At least he was going after something. And he was able to dig this well, and the water started to flow. And he was able to drink from it. And because he was at peace, because he was at rest, God revealed himself to him that's important sometimes we strive so much we, un- we, we, we get so fearful God speak to me you've got to speak to me and often that fear will actually stop the flow of what God wants to say to us but Isaac was at a place of rest when we rest in him we can hear him speak and because he was in that place of rest, God revealed himself afresh to him. Which meant that instead of digging a well, he actually he built an altar, a place of worship, a place of thanksgiving, a place of joy and life. And that well just came automatically. He didn't have to worry about digging. Well, he did dig a well. But the thing is, look at the order. It changed from function to relational. The first four, and first four and a half really, were all about function, digging a well. I have to dig a well. But when he, talked about, when he had that relational side, it wasn't about digging the well at all. It was about getting to know him, and the well came automatically. And that's the whole thing about what God has been doing in this place. It's about relationship. Not about digging something that you're trying to do, but allowing him to dig that well. What a beautiful picture. So I want to carry on with that journey. I want to carry on with Jacob. Jacob, his son, grew up in this home. You've got Abraham as a grandfather. Whoa! You've got Isaac. And the journey that these guys had been through was amazing. And here's the son, Jacob. You see... Who we draw upon will expose our true position. And this guy who grew up in this home, suddenly his real position would be exposed. But before I go there, I want to look at Proverbs 14.14. Now it says in the New King James Version, the backslider in heart will be filled with his own ways. But a good man will be satisfied from above. 
Look at that. The backslider in where? In heart will be filled with his own ways, but a good man will be satisfied from above. You see, a backslider is not just a person who's walking away or turning his back on Christ and walking out the door. It can be us who are doing our own thing, our own way. Gosh, that, that, that. <laughs> when you start to think of it like that, gosh, what's my heart? Is it doing my own thing or am I actually doing your will and way? But the good man is satisfied from the things where? Above. What are we drawing from? So Jacob is an interesting character. I mean, his name means a supplanter. You know what that means? It means to take over or takes the, takes the place of someone else, usually on purpose. A supplanter takes the place of someone or something that was there first. One who wrongfully or legally seizes and holds the place of another. One who legally occupies the property to which another has legal claim. When you think about what Jesus has done for us, he's purchased us with a price. He's met all the legal requirements for us to have him as Lord of our lives. Yet who is truly on the heart the throne of our hearts. Supplanter. One that takes that right and seizes it and says, no, it's, I'm on the throne. That's pretty scary when you think about it like that, isn't it? So who's on the throne of our hearts, truly? Well, Jacob's journey, he's a deceiver, really, a manipulator, one. Yet in his journey, it, things change. But he starts off living with his father. I mean, he's had that heritage. He's had the, all the things about what God had done through Abraham and, him, and his father must have been told over and over again. But, you know, we can't live on somebody else's faith. I can't live on Greg's faith. I can't live on Sandra's faith. I can't live on your faith. Yet we have a well in this place that is so rich for us to draw upon. And it's not that we're, uh, I mean, when you start to draw on that well, then you can start to go deeper. What are you saying, Lord? What, I'm drinking from this, but I don't understand it. Help me to grow and to understand this. So when you're drinking from it and you're meditating upon it and you're digging deeper, you're actually allowing the well to flow in you. But when I sit back and I just rest on Greg's faith every Sunday and say, wow, that's amazing, that's really great. What's the change that's happening in my heart? Absolutely nothing. And I can listen to as many sermons as, you know, the cows come home. And yet nothing changes. It's when we actually dig into the well, and God's provided a well for us. It was amazing the other uh, leaders' discipleship group we had the other day, day, and uh, somebody was saying that they were going over some of the messages for a couple of years ago, because they weren't sure on a particular thing. It hadn't been revealed to them, so they looked out messages that had that subject from this place, and they were drawing from it. And boy, they said, wow. 
And yet they were in that meeting when it was first heard. Because we often forget things. If it's in here, we forget. If it's in here and it's transformed us, it changes us forever. And this is what God is wanting us to do. So his life is defined by deception, swindling. Um, and as you know, he swindles his brother out of his birthright. And then, of course, out of the blessing, which was so, so important for this family. So he has to flee. I'm sort of going to be skipping some of this story, but just letting you know. Um, and so it says in chapter 28 of Genesis, and I'm just going to um, just not read it from there. But uh, anyway, as you know, he escapes. He runs off. But he encounters God through a dream. And the dream is really amazing. The ladder going up and down. You've got angels going up and down. And it's all incredible. And you know, God can speak to us many different ways. Um, God often speaks to Sandra through dreams. Sometimes, you know, uh, for me, often it's, it's when God plants a little word in here. When I'm reading something or a thought or an idea. It was amazing the other day when I was just preparing all this. God just planted this in me. He said, we are more concerned about the lack of things than we are about the lack of him. I thought, wow. Oh, I thought, we are more concerned about the lack of things or the loss of things than we are about the lack or the loss of him. I thought, God, is, is that in my heart? Because it's so easy to point out, you know, you, 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 you. <laughs> but what about my heart? Am I more concerned about what I'm losing in this world than for him? What about the loss of him? That would be devastating. So he says, after he's woken up from the stream, he says this word, he says, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. How much are we unaware of God's presence all around us through every moment of every day? God was there all the time, but he hadn't, it hadn't been revealed to him. He hadn't recognized who God was. He'd had all this theory and the stories from his father and grandfather, but nothing had happened in here. It was all in here. Suddenly he comes to a place and he has this, this vision of angels ascending and descending. I'm thinking, wow, this is amazing. And he hears God's promise to him. But he wasn't aware originally of God's promise. Now God promises that he never leaves us nor forsakes us. Isn't that true? Hardly any, well, about three or four people see it, yes. <laughs> But it is true. God is with us, but we're sometimes not aware that he is in this place. He lives where? He lives in us. So wherever we go, he's there. <laughs> we can't hide from him. We can't go looking here, there, or everywhere, or hiding under a bush or anywhere. He is there. And then he prays a self-centered prayer. He says, God, thank you for doing all that promise and things like that. If you do all that for me, I will do this. And you hear Greg talk about that this morning. The prayers of, it's actually self, isn't it? 
you do this and I will do that. And here is, when you read in uh, 28, he, taught, he prays to God, you do this and I will do this. It was on his own terms. And yet God's love covers him. Isn't that beautiful? God's love covers him. See, when we are drawing from the wellspring of life, who is Jesus, we are constantly aware of his presence regardless of the situation or when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he is there. He never leaves us nor forsakes us. When we draw upon the wellspring of self, we are constantly feeling separated and far removed from him and we allow ourselves to come under this blanket of doubt, fear and condemnation. Fear of not being good enough or acceptable to him. It blinds us from seeing who we are. It blinds us from seeing who we are in Christ. It's so, so real. I remember when I was ill, when I first got ill, and um, I was in pain. And I was. Uh, this is before we, uh, we were, before it was diagnosed what it was. I remember being on the bed, and you've heard the story before, lying there. And I was in such pain. I cried out to God and I said, God, please take this away. And I heard him say so clearly, be still. Do not fear. Do you trust me? Will you allow me to take hold of your hand and lead you through the process? Lead you through it. And I, the pain didn't go, but I had peace. I had absolute peace as I said yes to him. And a week later, the elders came over and prayed for me, and Greg prophesied those same words over me. In fact, he gave me a song as well. A couple of days later, I went in and um, into the hospital to, uh, 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 well, they went in to discover what it was. And uh, at that point, they, they discovered a growth. They didn't know exactly what it was. They didn't know whether it was cancer. It wasn't cancer or whatever. But the amazing thing was, Sandra and I came home and we were just rejoicing. Why? Because we had a word to hold on to. God had said he was with me through it. He was with us through it. So whether it was cancer or whether it wasn't, whether it, wasn't, whether it was to life or death, it didn't matter. He said that he was going to be with me. And so that was so real for us. We came home and the family fell apart. Yet we were, <laughs> we were fine. <laughs> anyway, his God's love covers him, and God's love covers us. Do you think there was grace there, though, for him to overcome what he was going through right then? It was, but it hadn't been revealed to him at that point. Chapter 29, just very quickly, I know I'm moving through it. It says here that towards the end of his journey, he's escaping, he's going towards the end of the journey, and he looks up and he sees a well. And when he sees this well, he sees three shepherds there with flocks. And there's this well here, and there's a stone rolled across the top of it. And they're all sitting there doing nothing. And he says, you know, what are you doing? And they say to him, well, we're waiting for other shepherds to come. And when they all come, we shift the stone and we all drink together. Beautiful picture, really, when you think about it. He's thinking, what the... And so, it's funny, this is the only time you really hear of Jacob in a well, apart from John chapter 4. And that was dug after he was transformed. 
And I think Luke was saying the other day that, uh, you know, isn't it a beautiful thing of sometimes when we dig a well, it affects the generations to come years and years and years later. When Jesus meets that woman by Jacob's well. But in this particular well, he's there and there's this large stone across it. And he's thinking, what's going on? Then suddenly he sees um, Rachel coming, who's a shepherdess. And she's coming with the sheep, and suddenly he just goes, Guga. <laughs> this is where you either you play the, the music to um, Rocky, or you play the music to um, uh, Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> and suddenly he, he has all these muscles within him, and he shifts this big stone and gets her sheep to drink. Sometimes you do crazy things when you're in love. (laughs) He doesn't wait for the others. He circumnavigates the process. I can do this. I can do this. And in his own strength, he removes the stone. I don't need others to help me. What is that? That's pride. God's looking for a vulnerable heart, a heart of humility. But here is this opportunity to drink and he's full of pride. Sometimes actually we need others to help us remove the stones around our hearts. And God's provided shepherds and others around us to actually help us to remove that stone. And sometimes what we can do is we can allow that stone to be there and never let it really be uncovered with others' helps. You know, we've got that program of cleansing streams and and we've got discipleship groups. We've got other avenues for people if they're struggling and they need help. There are things here in this place for people to be prayed for. But when we say, well, actually, I don't need help, and yet you know that your heart is blocked, actually, we need to humble ourselves and say, God, I need help. Sometimes all it takes is an apostolic word to break the the stone in our heart if we are prepared to receive it. An apostolic word is one that breaks through the barriers. Bang! It it, it, uh, breaks up the the hard, solid ground that we're standing on and overturns it. It's very unpleasant when that happens. But it's there for a reason. You can't go planting a whole group of crops when the ground is hard, you've actually got to plow it up and turn it over for the seed to go in there. Otherwise, you're wasting your seed. When we draw upon the, the wellspring of life, we are able to receive the, riches, the richness of Christ in others as we walk together. When we draw upon the wellspring of self, we love our independence. We're too proud to ask for help when needed. But God's love covers us, even in that state. Can I ask you, was the grace there to empower us to overcome it? It was. For Jacob at that time, though, it hadn't been revealed. You know, God's actually trying to say something to us, eh? About his love covering us, but his grace empowers us to overcome so I want you to get your, your remote controls out and fast forward 20 years. I think there was a movie about that, wasn't there? Fast forward or something or other? 
So in 20 years' time, he's now married two wives. <laughs> two wives. He's married his uncle's uh, daughters, Leah and Rachel. He's got 11 kids at that stage. 11 kids. <laughs> He's a successful businessman. His flocks are flourishing and multiplying, and everything is going his way. But underneath all that outward success, there's grumblings of discontent. There's undercurrents of jealousy in the air. His uncle Laban is not a happy man. He's not a happy man. I'll tell you what, swindlers don't like being swindled by swindlers. <laughs> and, and I've seen that firsthand, and I can't tell you the story, but I've seen it firsthand at work. <laughs> swindlers don't like, they, they don't mind being ripped off by you know, ordinary people, but when it's a swindler that swindled them, they don't like it. <laughs> so God speaks to Jacob again in uh, chapter 31, verse 3. And verses 11 to 13. And basically he says, I want you to come back out of there and come back home. And I will be with you. And he renews the promise that he gave 20 odd years ago. 20 years have gone by since that first dream where God gave him that promise. That God spoke to him. 20 years of him building his own empire. 20 years of him making his own life, doing his own thing. 20 years of missing all that God had for him. How long will we go for before we actually turn to him and say, actually, I need you. I want you to be my source. I want you to be my everything. You heard it this morning. <laughs> You've heard it for the last 10 years. How long will we go for before we cry out and say, Abba, Father, I need you. He was living in a barrenness state and yet he didn't even know it. And we can be asleep spiritually and unaware of what God is doing. God's been shaking this place in the last 10 years. Have you not heard it? Have you not seen it? Have you not felt it? It's not very pleasant. When I first came to this place, I thought I had it all together. I thought God was going to, I knew God was doing something in this place and was shaking things. And things were, you know, things needed to change. This was God's will. This was what God was doing. And I knew it. Little did I know that God actually wanted to shake me as well. And turn my, my old patterns of thinking, my old ways, my old wineskins upside down. And soon I discovered that my old wineskin was not able to hold the new wineskin. It just doesn't fit. It leaks badly. <laughs> Are we aware of what God is doing? Time is running out. Is there an urgency in our spirit?
because he's coming again. Are we prepared? Is our heart in alignment with what he's doing? Look at the characters in this. There's four main characters in this whole scene. Number one is Laban, the uncle. He uses people for his own advantage, gain, profit, and comfort. Number two, you've got Leah, his wife, his first wife. She's striving to be loved, recognized, accepted. She doesn't understand who she is. She feels like she's less than anybody else, that she's not good enough, so she tries to earn love. The third character is this, is Rachel. Now she's jealous of her sister because she's had, she's had children, but she can't, so she's barren. Not only that, she becomes bitter. And she's also got a problem with idols. Things You see, idols are always there to try and replace something. When there's an emptiness in your life, you're either going to replace them with him or you're going to replace him with something else. Then you've got Jacob, who uses his underhand, sly methods to gain and to cheat his way into what he wants to do. There's also a bit of unforgiveness in him too. He's been cheated by Laban, so he's hurt. So you've got four different characters, and what will are they drawing from? Self. The tree of good and evil. In most cases, this would be a nice, normal family. <laughs> Isn't that true? You've got all these different scenarios. If we were to enlarge that, though, by 50, 100, 2,000 times, we've got our, dare I say it, our average church. <laughs> true? You've got all these different people, and they're all lovely in themselves. But you've got this whole mix of what they're drawing upon. And do you think it's affecting the whole, well, the whole family? Wow. See, self breeds a toxic environment. Put all four of them together. Boy. <laughs> and we think it's normal. <laughs> and yet God wants to, to, us to draw from the tree of life. What happens? I mean, does, did God give up on all those characters? No. And God never gives up on us. And yet it's so easy for us to look and say, oh, yeah, you're a this and you're a that and things like that. But have you ever looked at your own heart? Man, I can recognize all four of those in my heart. <laughs> and I've had, to, I've had to look at it and say, well, which tree am I drawing from? Because it's so easy to judge somebody else and not actually look at your own heart. I remember the charismatic movement when it first came in the 1970s. Not that I was a Christian then, but I heard all about it at that stage. It was full of life. People were getting saved, you know, in their hundreds. It was, New Zealand was being, trans, you know, changed as it swept through the country. As it came into the 1980s, though, something changed. Suddenly it went to all about self. It's about my ministry. It's about my gifting. And everybody started building their own ministries. And they started then building their own empires. People got burnt out. People got discouraged. And people left in droves. 
When I came to the Lord in the early 1980s, it was all about come to Christ and let him meet all your needs. So heaps of people came and found that they were disappointed and left. It was the wrong gospel that was being preached, the wrong foundations that were being laid. And yet it was all drawn from self. It started off okay, but then self entered. And when you get self, it breeds a toxic environment. And yet, you know, we keep drinking from the same poison well unless we allow him to do the work in us that we can then drink from him and drink, uh, drink from the, the life that's there. James three sixteen to eighteen says this: For where there is envy and self seeking, oh sorry, where envy and self seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceful, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without hypocrisy saying one thing and not doing it. It's without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace and by those who make peace. Isn't that a beautiful thing? One is self, one is life. When we drink from the wellspring of life, we know who he is and who we are in Christ and are content and at peace within ourselves. When we draw upon the wellspring of self, we are always striving to be the person God never designed us to be, desperately desiring to be loved and accepted. It's so true, isn't it? And I'm just coming in to know this more and more. I've believed lies for so many years. When my life was turned upside down in this place, I was shaken. What I thought I knew suddenly was out the door. And God does this for a reason. It's not because he hates us. It's because he loves us so much. He wants to bring us into life, but he can't do it with all the add-ons that we've got. He's got to shake them free so that we can be free. And so I was shaken and I lost I guess my own confidence, but my own confidence is nothing. We've got to learn to lose it. We've got to learn to trust in him and to be able to stand on him. He's never shaken, but he is always firm. So Jacob and his family flee. You know, Jacob's always on the run. He's never able to settle down. He's never at peace. He's always busy, always unsettled, always running, never at rest. That's the story of our lives when we're not in him. And that's the story of my life. Always striving to be something and someone that God never designed me to be. It takes a lot of work. <laughs> So let's turn to chapter 32 because this is where I want to uh, read from, just little bits of it here. So he's, on, he's fleeing Laban now and he's going back home. Okay, 
There's a lot in between, but we're not going to go there. Verse 30, uh, chapter 32, verse 32 says, So Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, This is God's camp. And he called the place that name. I don't know quite how to pronounce that. Mahanaim. <laughs> and then Jacob sent messages before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. And he commanded them, saying, Speak thus, my lord Esau. Thus your servant Jacob said, I have dwelt in the land with Laban and have stayed there until now. And he talks about all these donkeys and animals that he's sending back because he's trying to find favor in the eyes of his brother. Then the messengers returned and said to Jacob, We came to your brother, and he is also coming to meet you with 400 men are with him. So Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. Now this is amazing, eh? If ever there was a time you'd have thought he would have been changed was when he comes to this place where he sees angels everywhere. Some versions say it was two companies of angels. It was an encampment of angels. That could be thousands of angels there. Wow, when you see something like that, surely you would be changed from the inside out. You'd have thought. When you see something like that. So he's got on his thing the word of God. Now he sees all these thousands and thousands of angels and then over here he suddenly hears a word from man saying there are 400 men of Esau coming and his life falls apart. Hang on a minute. You've got God's word, God's promises, you've got all that huge company of angels and you've got 400 puny little men and his life is falling apart. Now why is that? Because when something is external, it never changes here. And all his life, everything to do with God was external. The dreams were external. And this, the, the words he hears are great, but everything at the moment is external. And external things, no matter how puffed up he may have felt, wow, this is great. When he hears something that comes, suddenly his whole life falls apart. You see, rock and sand are the same substance. But sand is rock that's been broken down over hundreds of years and now is just nothing. I wonder what the rock in your life has been, the promises of God that have been watered down and broken down over the years of your life. So that now... When the promise of God comes to you, it means nothing because you're standing on something that's been broken down completely. So when we try and build, we try and build on sand and on compromise rather than on the rock. So he, he sees in the earthly realm two angels of God and he oscillates backwards and forwards. He's double-minded. He's unstable. It says in James 1.8. It 
and we can become unstable because we're trying to stand on sand and the rock at the same time. It doesn't work. It's either one or the other. Elisha's servant, what did he see? <gasps> There's armies all around the city. Elisha did not panic. Elisha didn't go burying his head in the sand. He actually said, Lord, open the eyes of my servant. There's more for us than against us. That was the life that Elisha lived because he saw something in a different realm. And there's more to us. There's more for us than what we can see in this natural realm. But we are so blinded by the things around us that we can miss it. When we draw upon the wellspring of life, he opens our spiritual eyes to see from a heavenly perspective and to live from this eternal realm, a place of unlimited resources. When we draw upon the wellspring of self, we will always be making earthly decisions based on what we think we know or how we feel. We are also aware of our constant lack of things rather than our lack of him. But his love covers us and his grace empowers us and his power was there for him to draw upon if he wanted it. And it's there in every situation. His grace is there for us to draw upon if we want it. So Jacob defaults to what he always knows. So what does he do? You see, self has to live. It has to live because it can't be put to death if we don't want it to be put to death. So you think about the wonderful plan that he has to get around this. He decides to send out his servants with the different animals to go before him. And then he puts his family on the firing line and sends them out. Did he have any consideration about the lives of his servants? What about the lives of his family? See, self has to preserve itself, even at the cost of your own family. Wow, that's pretty sad. Did you see that plane that crashed in Russia? And the burning, it was burning like that. And they said the, there were what, there were 70-something people on board that plane, and 41 of them perished in the fire, and 30 of them got out. But they said, did you notice the, the, 30, the first 30 that got out, they were carrying their luggage with them? They had no regard for the guys burning out the back. They were carrying their, they wanted their own stuff to go out with them. You think, gosh, but that's what self does. When you're thinking yourself, that's it. And you will do anything to preserve it. Jacob was no different. He'd lived for self all those years, and he wanted to, he wanted to preserve his life. So he put his fa- his family, they're dispensable, a means to an end. They became chattels, and that's what self does. Two more wives. When we draw upon the wellspring of life, he empowers us to lay our lives down for each other. When we draw upon the wellspring of self. We will do everything in its power to preserve oneself at the cost of others. But God's love covers him. 
Man, God's love. When you look at that, every situation God's love covers. Galatians 2.20 says, and this is what we often quote, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Hang on a minute. Let's back the truck up. (laughs) What does it really say? It says, I have been crucified with Christ. Oh, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. <laughs> and the life that I now live in this, in the life in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Man, we miss it. We think we can, oh, yes, I'm crucified. How many Christians say that? It's so true, and yet they can't lay their lives down. I love what it says in Romans chapter 6. Uh, chapter 6, verse 3. Or do you not know that as many as us that were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once and for all, but the life of God he lives, he lives to God. Isn't that beautiful? When we go through the death process, we also go through the resurrection process. We think about the death only and that's it. And that's why we think of, "Ah, I'm losing everything. But actually we're gaining much more. But unless we are crucified with Christ, there's no way we can say, it is no longer I who live, because living, we will be still alive, very much alive. And even though we can sort of try and copy it, we can't imitate it. We can't live it, and it'll always be found out under pressure. In desperation, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 31, it says, I die daily. Wow, that's Paul speaking, I die daily. There's nothing in him. So in desperation, Jacob finally cries out to God in verses 9 to 12. It says, Then Jacob said, O God, my, the God of my father Abraham and the God of my father Isaac, the Lord who has said to me, Return to your country and to your family, and I will dwell with you. I am not worthy of the least of all these, of the mercies and all the truth which you have shown your servant, for I crossed over this Jordan with my staff. Uh, and now I have become two companies. Deliver me, I pray, from the band, hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he uh, come and attack me and the mother with, with the children. For you said, I will surely treat you well and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered. 
for uh, numbered for multitude. So he's he's actually starting to turn now. He's realizing that he's in a real pickle, and he's starting to turn. And even though some of that prayer is still self-orientated, there is a beginning of a turning that's happening with his, in his own life. And then he, what he does is the next day he sends, or in the evening he sends his family over the the, um, the ford of Jabok. That means to empty, to make void or to pour out. So what happens is he's stripped of all the things that held his heart. What were they? Wealth, income, status, reputation, wives, children. God sometimes leads us into a place where we have to surrender everything. And the thought of Jabok was that to empty everything out. Well, who holds the, the place in your heart? What do we have to let go for God to actually do that work deep within us? Is it family? Is it children? Is that our work? We heard that this morning even. When we draw upon the wellspring of life, he empowers us to let go and let God redefine everything. He becomes our source for everything. When we draw upon the wellspring of self, we never truly let things go in our hearts. But we will try and work it out, work out a compromise, make deals fearful of loss. And they become idols that fill the gap in our lives which we draw upon for the meaning of life and purpose. Man, idols. We have so many idols around our lives. God wants all of them gone. So Jacob, it says in verse 22, it says, And he arose and he, that night and he took his two wives and his two female servants and his eleven sons, and they crossed over the ford of Jabok. And he took them and he sent them over the brook and he sent uh, over all that he had, or what he had. Then Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until day, the day, breaking of day. Now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, Let me go, for, this, for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And so he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Isn't it incredible? He is left alone. He's utterly alone. No kids, no income, no flocks, no nothing. He's left alone. This time in his life, He's utterly alone. When was he alone beforehand? When he was escaping. And when God met him. I wonder how different things would have been if he'd allowed God to do a work in his heart back then. But God brings us back around the mountain to a place where again he's alone. I'm not going to sing it, Greg. (laughs) Greg was singing it last night. (laughs) 
But you can see though, God will bring us back to a point where he can get traction with us. And when we're broken before him, he can begin to speak into our hearts and lives. Because suddenly there's, those distractions are not there anymore. They're gone. He's utterly alone. And yet, is he really alone? He's not. Because God is with him. He never forsakes him. And I love the wrestling that takes place. He's wrestling with God. Now, what's the difference between this and the dreams that he had and the pictures of the angels that he had? It was internal struggle. Suddenly, there's, his heart is being gripped. His heart is being ripped apart. This is an internal structure. It's not way out there. It's not God somewhere over there. This is gripping his whole being. And I love the way that he cries out and he says, I will not let you go. There was an ache within his heart, like blind Bartimaeus, the son of David. He cries out, Son of David, hear me. Son of David. There's that deep cry from within. Everybody else is telling him, be quiet, shut up. You're making a lot of noise. You're making a scene. <laughs> yeah, God's, not a, God's not worried about that at all. God actually sometimes messes us up, and it can be very unholy looking. <laughs> but actually, it's what God is doing on the inside <laughs> to the natural man. <laughs> and yet God is doing something deep within and he's crying out because this time he needs him. No longer is it something that his grandfather had or his father had. Now it's something that God is doing in here. It took a long journey, but he's got there. And so in God revealing himself to Jacob, he discovers who he is. When we discover and have God reveal himself to us, we discover who we truly are in him. He said, you're no longer Jacob, supplanter, deceiver. You're now Israel, one who has wrestled with God and man. Totally different. And God has a name for us. God totally sees us totally different. I love what Greg's been sharing about the beginning and the end. It's our bit in the middle that often when we walk through with our own flesh and our own thoughts, we mess it up. We think we're done for. We think we're no good. We think all those, we believe those lies that have been spoken. And I've been there. And yet when we truly begin to take hold of what he's doing and allow our hearts, when we're broken, to come into that place of God, I need you. He changes us truly on the inside. And he begins to reveal to us all that he has for us. And then God touches his thigh and he's never the same again. As they say, you know, never trust a man without a limp. Because somebody that's actually walked the, you know, walked it will never be the same again. You can get preachers that can preach all sorts of things and they've never been through the transformation process. And it's very easy to pro it is very easy to talk it. I've done it. 
But when you've been touched and you've now changed completely, it's now real, it's living. And what you're saying, you're speaking out of the will that's been planted within you. It's alive and nobody can dispute it because it's in you, it's coming out of you. And boy, people can spot when it's not authentic. When we draw upon the wellspring of life, everything is redefined by him and our hearts are transformed and our minds are renewed. When we draw upon the wellspring of self, our hearts become discouraged and despondent, trapped in a cycle of regret and shame. And I love when you listen to Todd White. (laughs) He says, I've only got one message. (laughs) And that's about who we are in Christ. And he said, the amazing thing is I was set free from you. (laughs) Set free from himself and set free from you. Because when we're worried about what everybody else thinks... Man, it's a terrible web that we weave. And it's it's so wonderful to see when you see people that are truly set free and you look at them and think, wow. When you look at Greg's life, when you look at uh, you know other people's lives around the place and you see the transformation work that's been going on in them. And you see the testimony of Todd White and it's just incredible. It's really, really amazing. But that shouldn't be just one or two people. That's for all of us here. And we will either grasp hold of it or we will try and block it. It's either a fragrance or a smell that repels us. I pray it will be a smell that actually draws us in. The fragrance of Christ draws you in. It's just beautiful how God does this in all of us. And you know that whole invitation that Jesus gave? If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. That's a promise. Amen. Father, we thank you for this time together. And we just pray, Lord God, that, Lord, I pray that, you're speaking to this place so clearly about the wellspring of life and the wellspring of self or the tree of life and the tree of good and evil. Father, may our hearts be not disturbed but be transformed and allow you to come in and, and do this work that only you can do. So Father, I just pray, Lord, have a way in our hearts. May our hearts be humbled. May our hearts surrender absolutely to you that we may offload any idols at all and say God I need you so Father we just commit the discussions to you the talks and things like that may they just not be empty discussions but Lord life transforming conversations and we thank you Father in Jesus name Amen